Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. How are you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio with all the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember, there are many ways of getting our show. You can download directly from our website. That's techcentral.ie. You can use a smartphone podcast app. iTunes is always there for you. Or you can listen to us on the radio every Friday on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Later on in the show this week, we're going to hear about some surprising research into cyberbullying, not just of kids, but of adults. Also, a big games event that's coming from London to Bunkrana. But first, I'm joined by our editor, Niall Kitson, and this week, Niall, we're lamenting the end of the VHS cassette. Yeah, another one bites the dust. I mean, it just seems that, like it's, it's another month, another retro format has either gone the way of the dodo or it's about to make a, a bizarre re- resurgence. They, they really are dropping like flies over the last few years, aren't they? They certainly are. I believe that this is a, some factory in China who are making stuff for uh, for Sanyo. What's the, what's the reason for not making VHS anymore? Yeah, well, and basically you can't get the parts. Nobody's been making the parts to uh, either assemble or repair the machines. So that's that's kind of it. I mean, yes, Sanyo were the last distributors. They were the last man standing in the market. Um, do you still own a VHS recorder, Dusty? Do you know, I actually do, because uh, we had a rather large uh, wedding anniversary uh, occasion there this year, and uh, I dug out the uh, video of the big day, and I, I found, I'd, I deliberately kept a VHS uh, player up in, the, up in the attic and took it down and dusted it off, and the thing worked, no problem. Yeah, well, I, I still have a, a video recorder beside my television. That's how retro I am. I actually keep it front and centre with my Blu-ray player and my streaming box and everything else. To me, it's, you know, I've still got a lot of videos and I know that they have no resale value whatsoever. So I thought, you know, I, I'll, just, I'll just keep it where I, where I found it because I actually have the original cinematic cut of the original Star Wars trilogy on VHS. And to me, that's actually, you know, that's worth something. So that's worth having uh, videos around me. But I, you can't underestimate the impact that video has had on culture in general. I mean, if we didn't have um, the humble video, we wouldn't have the uh, censorship regime we have in place. Well, censorship classification regime. Uh, and you are, of course, old enough and I'm more or less old enough to remember the, the whole hoo-ha about video nasties in the early 1980s. You're on dodgy territory when you say I'm old enough to remember. Ah, but you you do though. I mean, you know, it, it was I part do. and parcel. Actually, I remember when I was a teenager going in and like, you know, I think we asked for Gremlins or something like that and, and we got the welcome wagon, which was, uh, you know, not a kid's movie. <laughs> <laughs> there were no complaints from me and my friends, I can tell you. But a, a little bit of trivia. When videos first came out, um, there was no regulation and there was no classification as well because they actually came under the censorship of Publications Act. So basically, if something and and of course, you know, who censors books? I mean, seriously. So if something came out onto the market, it was pretty much just there. So you had all kinds of places uh, in England, in particular, started developing their own video libraries off to one side. So you you know you'd have newsagent and video library. I remember when I was growing up, there was like TV shop and video library all mm. all in the one. And uh, you know there was no real controls as such until this sort of ban hammer came in, and there was this huge list of films that sort of become became banned based on just people. Um, nominating them 
not with any sort of, you know, sort of objective classification by a censor or anything like that, uh, the way that we have now. It was just literally people nominating films to have them banned, whether they were actually objectionable or not. I think there's been plenty of censorship uh, over the years, and I think it's going back way before you and I were even born, um, of books and of magazines and of movies uh, and of condoms, uh, which you probably wouldn't remember back in the 60s. Um, but Mary Robinson, our, our fine um, um, president, once upon a time was on the uh, they called them the condom train in the early 70s um, where they it was basically a big bunch of women uh, got the train to Belfast stocked up on as much Durex as they could carry and brought them back to Dublin because it was illegal to bring them in and it was a huge furore over it uh, I remember do you, you know the Monty Python movie The Life of Brian I remember as well that was banned yeah, that was on the video nasties list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there was, um, uh, I mean, there's certain books and all kinds of things that uh, that were on the banned list. So I don't think you know, kind of the the the, the video and the censorship side came along. But I think where what you're thinking of maybe is the fact that the movie censor censored movies, but he wasn't censoring officially the new technology of video. Do you know that kind of a way? Yeah, yeah. And and because VHS technically inferior, but much cheaper than Betamax, which meant that you know, a lot of films went on to to VHS just because it was cheaper uh, and Mm. that just facilitated massive distribution of films that wouldn't have gone near a cinema um, in our time. I mean, you you remember the phenomenon of, you know, the the straight-to-video movie. It was just instant B-movie status, you know, whereas now you've got a, a, a situation where movies that are actually can be really good for whatever reason they just miss out on a cinema distribution but they actually end up doing quite well either on home DVD or on streaming services yeah yeah true but then there's a lot of movies that go straight to Netflix and, and they shouldn't even be allowed in there <laughs> <laughs> well that's so, true unfortunately so as you, well. just, you just never know it's kind of it's like a, as my dad used to always say he says oh the more things change the more they stay the same yeah, yeah. And, and I'm but, actually starting to say the same thing myself now with my own young fans <laughs> God, you're becoming a cranky old man, Dusty. You know what? But it's very strange. But but seriously, it is. It's just it's the same story being like our lives are the same story. To, our technology is the same story being told over and over and over, but just with different characters. If that, that makes is sense. straight from Battlestar Galactica, you are aware of that. No, I'm not. Is it really? You are. Yes, it is. Straight from Battlestar Galactica. (laughs) (laughs) There's hope for me yet. I may become an author. Who knows? Uh, Were you saying that there was something else coming back, not VHS, but but cassettes are making a return? Yeah, I mean, it's a bizarre subject as formats at the moment because you say goodbye to one thing and you assume that it's gone because it's technologically inferior. But people do have this tremendous um, uh, sense of nostalgia for things, you know, that... uh, Say the the very first time you're introduced to a band, you might have been handed a cassette and told, you know, go listen to this, and that sticks in your in your memory. You know, whenever you, you listen to that band again, you go, I remember getting that tape the first time, and it was great. And it, you know, you think of a certain era when music was a certain way, or when a band was, uh, you know, producing a certain kind of music, or or what have you. Mm. And uh, one record label in the states is actually bringing back the cassette as a means of distributing new music. So uh, you might be familiar with the label Sub Pop. I mean, there it was a particularly popular popular label in the 1990s because they had uh, all the Seattle bands um, were assigned to Sub Pop at various stages um, and uh, you know everything was circulated by cassette and in order to bring back sort of the sense of uh, the glory days if you will of alternative rock just became a, before it came very bland and, and very chart friendly and mm. you know was still re- regarded as being sort of scary and edgy and absolutely not what, what the rest of heavy metal was um, that things were just circulated on cassettes either at clubs or what have you and they're trying to 
bring back that feeling of exclusivity that you know okay the quality isn't as good but you know it just gives you that sense of nostalgia I mean it's not going to have the same effect as the return of vinyl I mean a vinyl is qualitatively different to a CD qualitatively different to um, to streaming you know it's a different product with a different kind of nice warm sound to it I mean completely impractical and, and more expensive than the digital formats but uh, people love having records. I mean, yeah, you're you were a vinyl guy for years. I was a vinyl guy, and I actually hung on to vinyl for a long time after people started using CDs because I, I just I, it was more not to do with sound quality. I just liked the fact of the the, the tactile element of it, the, you know, the fact that it was big and I, you know, you could handle it and it would take two hands to hold and all that kind of stuff. That's what I liked about it more than the uh, than the sound quality. Um, and I think part of that thing, as you were saying with cassettes, when you do mixtapes or as you say with uh, a vinyl cassette, it's like, or, or a vinyl record, you're saying, here, here's something and let me put it into your hand and then you hold it in, in your hand and it's it, it feels real and it's got artwork and it's got notes and letters and words uh, that all make sentences on it. Do you know what I mean? It's interesting and it's a heck of a lot more interesting than somebody just zipping your mobile phone and going, hey, here's a playlist for you. Love you. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. We said we'd just uh, say a quick word just to mourn the passing of VHS um, and uh, there's certainly more than a, a quick mention and maybe VHS isn't as dead as we think it is. However, Niall, uh, th- th- good chat to you uh, about that. We've got an interview show this week. We've got two interviews, one you did and, and one that I did. So I think we'll, uh, we'll get cracking into them straight away. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Tech Central. A recent report by the media planning and buying agency Zenith Optimedia has found that as many as one in five children and one in ten adults have experienced cyberbullying. So I've come out to the office to speak with Declan Kelly, who's the joint MD of the company, just to explore a little bit more about the survey and the findings and things that we may or may not know about cyberbullying and ultimately what we can do about it. So Declan, just tell us a little bit about the background to the study and, and why sort of a an agency interested in media planning and buying would be interested in having a look at cyberbullying. Hi, Niall. Well, first and foremost, uh, you know, our job is to plan and buy media space. We advise our clients and we help them to navigate what is increasingly a complex uh, digital world that we live in. Everything from how we access the internet, how we use smartphones. Uh, part and parcel of that, uh, particularly in social media, is maybe running promotions or competitions, and some of that might involve, you know, using the phone, maybe it's a photo competition or selfies. And what you don't want to happen is to inadvertently set up a competition or promo that might lay a platform to be either exploited or used by cyberbullying, things such as, as body shaming, for example. So it was important for us to start to understand uh, what's at play and what the dynamic here is uh, behind and really uh, where people are undertaking the cyberbullying. So let's have a, a look at how things break down. I mean, to, to start with the, the obvious territory of, of younger people. So what kind of figures are we seeing? What, where are the main battlegrounds at the moment? And how are people feeling um, sort of attacked? Well, is it a matter of pure verbal abuse or, you know, I'll get you in school tomorrow? So what kind of thing are we seeing? Okay, so the main difference from, if you like, the verbal and physical abuse that we would uh, associate with sort of more traditional bullying is the cyberbullying. What you're seeing here, it's, it's an aggressive or intentional act that's carried out by group or individual, but using electronic forms of, of contact. 
and it's repeatedly over time. So things like on social networks, it could be emails, text messages, uh, right through to some of the gaming platforms and messages. So it's anything electronic uh, is what's termed cyberbullying. Um, the battleground has come out loud and clear in the research was Facebook. Now, Facebook, by virtue of its numbers, remember there's about 2 million Facebook accounts in this country, uh, you know, you would expect that to be reflected. However, what the research also pointed to, particularly when you start to talk to the kids themselves, is you see some of the other social media platforms, such as Snapchat in particular and Instagram, quickly becoming the new uh, battleground, if you like, for cyberbullying. So is it very much a case of um, as new platforms along uh, come along and certain audiences gravitate to them, they present sort of their, their own particular problems as well. I mean, it's not a case where you leave a comment on somebody's Facebook um, post. Uh, if you send somebody a Snapchat, it's quite a different experience. So are we, are we seeing sort of different vectors of attack that way? I would say so, but it's your classic cat and mouse. The kids want to be where their parents are. Um, so as the parents, if you like, became on Facebook, the kids would naturally gravitate to something that they would consider, you know, more private or more their thing as well. So I think we'll see that, um, that, you know, certain platforms will always be cooler, if you like, to, to younger kids as well. So what kind of um, uh, reactions are we seeing broken down by gender and um, sort of the traditional view is always that you know boys are, are more physical bullies where girls are, are more mental um the pardon pardon the use of, a, of a phrasing there but um are, are we seeing that different that um a sort of a different approach if you will yeah i think this is where it, it, the stark reality and, and the effects of cyberbullying means that we really have to pay attention so uh, kids who've experienced cyberbullying you know, what they're saying is some of the obvious things, feelings of sadness. With kids, there's a change in mood or behavior. Um, anxiety, uh, we see in females, for example, much higher uh, levels of low self-esteem. And all these are things that, you know, are not good for kids that will affect them as they go into their lives. Um, as you come down the scale, what you start to see then is, you know, affects how they do in school, right down to dark or suicidal thoughts. So a lot of these can stem from being the victim of some of these abusive behaviours online. One of the interesting things whenever a study about bullying comes out is you hear an awful lot from, from parents and teachers that, you know, we didn't know it was this bad. You know, we, we knew bullying was a problem. We weren't aware of this situation. We weren't aware of this situation. Has that been born through into the digital world? You know, are we seeing, even in the case where we're having an overall more digital savvy population, there is still that disconnect between what kids are doing and what adults know about? Yeah, and that's one of the things we, we delved into in the survey. And really, it was, it was a standout statistic for us. Um, there's a massive disconnect between what parents think, and by parents, I'm also putting in, you know, teachers versus what kids. So when we ask parents, um, you know, have, did they think their child had been a victim? One in ten was their answer. Yeah, one in every ten kids. When we asked the kids themselves, have you ever been a victim or been cyberbullied? It was one in five. So the problem, the disconnect there, uh, it's huge. It's, over, it's happening uh, twice as much as parents think it is happening. Um, and what that points to is kids aren't comfortable speaking to their parents, they're not reporting it, or parents are not having the right conversations with their kids. 
Uh, it also sort of throws up the issue of uh, the, the definition of cyberbullying. I mean, sometimes people don't want to be seen to reacting to something or, or to be bothered by something, you know, so therefore it's easily brushed away. As, you know, that's that's not an incident, although although the offending behaviour most certainly would be would be classified as bullying. Do, do you think maybe maybe that perception lingers a little bit that, you know, if you haven't shown that you're affected by something, it's not bullying, regardless of what the actual action is? Yeah, no, I think you're certainly onto onto something there. But I think the key thing here is that sort of it's repeated. That one-off and you know borderline having a bit of crack, bit of banter. Um, I think it's when you step over that line and it becomes that you know intimidating and repetitive and you know deliberate. And I think that's the real key that that sort of jumped out uh, in this survey as well, because you got to remember the big difference here uh, with cyberbullying is that there's no escape. It follows you into the home, like the rise of the smartphones, and that's what we see kids using their smartphones daily to access these platforms, means that cyberbullying is following them into the home, into the sitting room, into the bedroom. The thing about cyberbullying, too, is it's anonymous. Uh, kids are very savvy now. They can set up fake profiles, no problem, and use that to continue on the cyberbullying. And not only that, then, but it's visible to a wide range of people as well. So I think there's stark differences between, if you like, the old style bullying and really the more uh, dangerous sort of threat of, of current cyberbullying. Yeah, because it really is something that, that happens in public and view, full view of yeah. the whole world, which is something that people wouldn't really have had to deal with before. Yeah. And um, I suppose when we did this survey too, a lot comes out as, well, what are parents to do? And, you know, what is what's the right way to respond? Um we would work with Bernardo's Children Charity. They have a very good guide on their website. It's a parent's guide. And, um, you know, having this conversation with the kids to also uh, tell them what to do, which is, you know, stop, block, tell. So stop, don't reply to any of the, the bullying, uh, no matter what the format comes in. Block, which is block them on that platform and tell a parent or a teacher. And it's funny, even only yesterday, then we saw that Instagram have taken steps to allow to adapt their platform to allow to block you know certain users or types of words or meanings and for me i think that's got to be another a two-pronged solution not only more vigilant parents and having that conversation with the kids but i also think the social media the platforms themselves have to take more steps uh, to try and cut down on, on them being used for cyberbullying. Yeah, I think Twitter suffers particularly from that problem that because it is so open, it's not sharing within a, a small network or, or what have you, that it is so public and yet they have such a problem with trolls, um, be it you know during the political race or just in general. Do, do you think social ne- networks have really... do the, the do they even think this is a problem when they set up? You know, they, they think they're going to change the world by providing a new outlet for people to share their thoughts and feelings. And, you know, protecting their users is very much on the back burner until it's, you know, front and centre, something really bad has happened. Yeah, it's the classic free speech kind of debate, isn't it? Where we don't want to, uh, you know, curtail our listeners. But, um, no, if I just have to take those couple of steps back and we look at the effect that it has, not only on kids, a lot of those effects are absolutely replicated in adults. And I think there has to be some level of protection built in, particular user-initiated protection. You know, if I want to stop you uh, or stop a person from cyberbullying me, we've got to facilitate that. That has to be really easy to do. And I think too often you hear that uh, it's complex, it's... um, the, the cyber bullies are one step ahead. So um, it's a it's a 
complex issue, no doubt about it. But uh, when you look at the effects, it's one that has to be tackled. Mm. And do do you think maybe it's something networks should be a little bit more proactive about in terms of explaining settings? Because I know Facebook try every so often to uh, revamp their privacy settings and how you engage with it. But it's not... um, it's not privacy by default. Is is that really what we should be looking at or pressurising networks for? I think there is an onus on them to, to make it easier uh, and more com- uh, less complex. But this issue here, it's really it's Middle Ireland issue. It's about parents, and this is not letting parents off the hook. Parents are uh, happy to kind of abdicate the responsibility to the schools, whereas really parents also have to grab the initiative here and to go in and understand. And if their kids are on Snapchat, they need to go in and, you know, have their own Snapchat profile. Because certainly that was something we saw come out of the survey, that those parents who were heavy or medium Facebook users did feel that it was a more secure platform than, say, parents that didn't have a Facebook profile at all. And Mm -hmm. we also saw that on on Snapchat. So it's, it's, it's a question of parents' responsibility to also be aware of these platforms and how they work and what their kids are doing on it. But they need to be helped and the users need to be helped by the platforms as well. Yeah. And, and of course, they don't have to follow their kids and their kids don't have to follow them back or anything like that. It's, it's just more familiarization with these platforms as, as they arise rather than engaging with their kids, which is what they don't want to do. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd ha- I have to agree. But um, and again, this comes back to the Bernardo's thing, uh, you know, they're saying if your kid is a victim, don't panic. But the trick is getting involved in your kid's online life. And I really think that's kind of good advice uh, across the board, um, you know, to be aware and have those conversations around what is and what isn't acceptable uh, as, as they go about their, their business online. And that was Niall Kitson talking to Declan Kelly, Deputy Managing Director of Zenith Optimedia. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's TechCentral.ie. All right, now let's get into talking about gaming. And I'm delighted to announce and to share with you that there is a gaming meetup happening in Bunkrana in County Donegal. There's not enough of these things happening outside of the major cities in Dublin. So it's great to see it happening in Bunkrana. And to tell us the how and the whys and the whens and the wheres is Helen Doherty, who's joining me at the moment. How are you doing, Helen? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, Dusty. Listen, my pleasure. Give me an overview of the gaming meetup, which is going to be happening in uh, September 10th. Okay, um, so it's happening at the exchange in Bunkrana. Um, we're just, um, it's just a place where Nintendo 3DS fans can chill out and play um, their 3DS with one another. Um we're going to be doing some contests during the day as well. Um, a lot of these will focus on like the Nintendo 3DS. Um, but we're also going to be uh, providing a Wii U for attendees to play. So we're, we're going to do an activity in that as well. And there's also going to be a raffle. So uh, everyone who attends can take part in that. Where we're going to be giving away some Nintendo goodies. Hey, fantastic. Listen, tell me, why Nintendo? Why the 3DS? Um... Well, the Nintendo 3DS is, uh, so of course, the successor to the Nintendo DS, which was the first console, um, first portable console that really facilitated uh, multiplayer play. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, the first meetups like this started happening in that era. And, um, of course, as the games are getting even better and the experience is getting more immersive, uh, things have just kind of exploded during the 3DS era with games like uh, Monster Hunter and Pokemon. 
um, so yeah, there's lots. I mean, in England, there's lots of these kind of events going on, and I just yeah. Grant, so you're you're going to have it all set up so that anybody with a, a Nintendo 3DS is going to be able to walk in and just play with whoever else is there. You'll have the whole network set up and everything, yeah. Well, uh, actually, Dusty, their Nintendo 3DS is already set up ah. to do this. <laughs> ah, I'm showing my non-gaming roots here. <laughs> but it's all right. But you'll be able to, will you be uh, able to only play with people who show up at the uh, venue in Bunkrana, or will it be uh, people who are connected to the internet uh, elsewhere? Well, um, I suppose it's possible that people can connect over the internet mm. if we find out the exchange's password and username and go to the bother of connecting our 3DSs. But really, like, um, we're kind of encouraging people to play with one another on the day. Okie dokie. Now, just uh, is it okay to give out uh, an email address for yourself in connection with the event, is it? I'd prefer people ask any questions they had on the Facebook group. Ah, fantastic. So okay, yes. You can find us, uh, if you type Street Pass Sunny Gore, in um, Facebook, uh, it'll just come up. Excellent. Street Pass Donegal in Facebook, and it'll come up. The reason why I'm asking that, Helen, is because yeah. there, there could be, you know, uh, 3DS fans who are listening to the podcast, but they could be in Waterford or they could be in Cork or elsewhere in the country. And they may, yeah. for the crack, just want to, you know, connect in with uh, Bunkrana. And it might be a bit of a fun, fun for you. But if they get in touch with you via Facebook, that is uh, probably the best way to do that. Um, we we'll yeah. wait, wait and see what happens there. Um, then tell me about the uh, uh, the prizes you've got. You've got some very nice prizes, I believe. Yes, we do. Uh, we've had donations from Nintendo, Capcom, and Yelp. So Nintendo are giving us a bunch of eShop vouchers in the Euro denomination um, to be given away. And uh, Capcom gave us a whole bunch of Mo- Monster Hunter merchandise, uh, about like 200 euros worth. Wow. <laughs> and Yelp um, gave us little power charges as well so um if you win one of those you can keep your nintendo 3ds juiced uh, or your um android device if you are cool. a Pokemon cool. <laughs> now listen this, this is the first time that we've had a, a street pass in uh donegal but you've done street pass elsewhere before tell me tell me about the history of that yeah uh, i run street pass london so i've done about 10 events i believe um all around like, in, Lo- in london capital and um, yes, yeah, it's, it's been going since about 2014. And are the, the, these, uh, well, if you've done 10 of them, they're, they're hugely successful. In, in a sentence, how would you sum them up? Fun, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Good, on. Good on you. Oh, that, that was just a word, wasn't it? That wasn't that was, that, listen, <laughs> well, well, you can have a one word sentence. Uh, no problem. <laughs> Listen, I was going to ask you, I mean, it's obvious that, you know, you're, you're not from uh, Donegal, but Helen Doherty is is a very, very Irish name. Why why bring Street Pass to Bunkrana? Okay, so two reasons. Um, the first is, like you said earlier, there's never been something like this for the Nintendo 3DS fans in the Northwest. And, um, yeah, I feel for them because I remember, you know, the days before... <laughs> You know, even the the little DS meets here, hmm. uh, like back in two thousand five or whatnot, and those were dark days. So you know, the Nintendo scene it needs to happen in Ireland. So I thought this might help. You know, um, right. help and them. and do you have family connections up in Donegal? Is that is that the reason I you're doing do it there? Ah, right. As well, yeah, because it's convenient for me because uh, my mum lives in 
then I go and so does my sister so, and, and my dad and lots brilliant. of cousins. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> so you're bringing all of this experience, you you know, from, from an international city like London and you bring it to Bunker yeah. and Donegal. Absolutely. This has to be checked out without a shadow of a doubt. Um, tell me just one last thing for you, uh, Helen. Uh, Pokemon Go is the, you know, everybody's talking about it. Well, what's your take on the whole Pokemon Go? Are you playing it yourself anyway? Um, I don't have a compatible device, but when I go to my boyfriend's, I do. Ah, right, okay. Hello, darling. It's lovely to see you. Where's your phone? Thank you. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> One of those. Well, listen, Helen. Um, I wish you the very, very best of luck with the uh, with 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 the whole street pass in Donegal. It's happening at the Exchange in Buncran, County Donegal, on Saturday, the tenth of September, uh, kicking off at one o'clock and running throughout the afternoon. Uh, if you're under sixteen, you need to be accompanied by an adult. That's probably because it's a, a, a pub or it's got a drink license or something like that. But, but anybody under sixteen is welcome. Yeah. Um, it's not so much. There's not not going to be alcohol there, but. Mm. Um, to be honest, like me and my boyfriend, we're not trained in like looking after children. There so, you um... go. Nah, I like it. I like it. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So, it's, but if they have a, a parent or an older brother or sister or something like that with them, keeping an eye on. Yeah, yeah. All right, grand, lovely stuff. And if you want to get in touch with uh, Helen and the guys, or if you just want to find out more, look them up on Facebook. It's Street Pass Donegal Meetup on Facebook. Helen, thanks for telling us all about it. Thank you. Well, that's it for our show this week. Remember, you can get more on everything we talked about in the show and all the latest Irish tech news with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more from our website, techcentral.ie, as well as our little weekly tech radio show here online and broadcast every Friday at 6pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty, and from Niall Kitson, thanks so much for listening. Take care. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at Tech central.ie Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com Tech Central